Hey, this is Rage Killer, and I'm with General Lots, New Owen, Scary Jersey Guy, and we're with Tom Sullivan, the the man, the myth, the legend, who did the book and the dagger and the effects of the Evil Dead, including uh, work on Evil Dead 2 and Army Darkness. Man, congratulations that you know this film has held such a high regard in now 40 years. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. It will not die. <laughs> November, right? You guys all went up to Tennessee and, and went in the cabin and had to clean out cow crap and all that stuff. Yes, our uh, we had a cabin all set to go, and then um, right before, like a week or two before we left, the family that owned well, well, it wasn't a cabin; it was like a farmhouse, and it didn't have a um, it had a nice mowed lawn, a large lawn, like. From the photographs, it was about 100 feet in every direction at least, maybe larger. So it didn't have any of the ambiance that the cabin had. But it did have a, a trap door. But the parent, the family that owned it thought uh, about the situation and did they really want, you know, a bunch of college kids making a bloody movie in their cabin, in their house, and they wisely chose to back off. Mm-hmm. But uh, Gary Holt, our uh, Tennessee uh, um, uh, production, our location manager, uh, found out about the cabin, and uh, uh, it seemed good enough, and uh, that's what we have today. Of course, like you said, it didn't have any windows, it didn't have any doors, it didn't have any heat or electricity or plumbing, uh, phone lines, anything like that. But it did have a three-inch carpet of cow dung on the inside. <laughs> oh, wait, I almost forgot uh, to mention the movie that uh, you also did the effects on, Within the Woods. That was the, the movie to get funding for Evil Dead. Yes. Yeah. That was shot, obviously, somewhere else. Uh, that was shot uh, south of Marshall, Michigan, where I am located right now. Oh. And um, uh, that uh, was owned by uh, Rob Tappert's family. They had a little... Uh, farmhouse out in the country, mm-hmm. a lot of property, and uh, so we uh, after we shot our main stuff down in Tennessee uh, during the winter, we came up in the spring and uh, finished shooting up there. Right. Uh, you know, some the the cell 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 stuff was up there, the uh, the cellar stuff, and then uh, some of the the um, uh, shots of oh uh, Linda getting. Um, her head cut off, things like that. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I know within the woods, I know there's like third gen bootlegs out there that exist for anyone who wants to check it out. Um, and I know in that one, it was Bruce that became the one that was possessed in, uh, 
and Ellen Sandweiss that played uh, Cheryl was the, the the heroine of that. Yes. Yeah. Scott Spiegel is in it too. Right. Who's uh, going to be a film director and a good buddy of Quentin Tarantino. Sweet. So, I mean, obviously, I think it's a uh, unanimous. If we were going to give a, a non-spoiler recommendation, we'd all equally be like, "It's, it's freaking Evil Dead." God, you got to check it out. <laughs> Genuinely, one of my favorite horror movies. Does uh, yes? Does anybody have like a mini speech you would like to give to anyone who hasn't seen this to why they should check it out? <laughs> I guess I well, could go. Okay, go ahead. Um, I haven't. I, I had heard of Evil Dead, and I'd watched a couple of uh, scenes of it throughout the years. But uh, this was the first time I actually sat through the entire film. And there are films that you hear about, that you read about, that you hear other people talk about, and you know, you wonder, is it really worth the hype? Is it really that good? Uh, I went into it not wanting to actually like it because I actually saw the Evil Dead TV series, and I didn't particularly like it all that much. Evil Dead, the movie, is worth the hype, and it is an absolutely exquisite film, especially when you look at what went into it. Uh, it was a, very much an independent film. It's amazing just how well it was pulled off. Uh, the writing is more than just dumb horror movie. It actually it feels not only ahead of its time, but it also feels like its own entity. It more holds up, really. Uh, so I recommend watching it because it is worth the hype. But even in a vacuum, it's still an excellent film. Well said. I Very think much that so. um, mm-hmm. if, if anybody has not seen this movie, they absolutely should see it, specifically because it proves a lot of points and a lot of misconceptions that people have about the horror genre and just making movies in general. Because if you're an amateur filmmaker, you know... Um, it, it, it can show you what you can do on a tight budget that you don't need to have a gigantic budget. You know, you just need to have the motivation. You just need to have a good script. And you need to be able to hit all the good points that people would expect out of a movie. You don't need to, I don't want to say go over the top, because, I mean, Evil Dead is pretty over the top, you know, in a good way. But it's just, it, it's something that'll show you what... <laughs> you can do if you have the passion as opposed to having the financial backing. Right. For for me, it's mostly what it did was I saw it pretty early on. I was probably only 12 years old the first time I saw this film and it kind of set the bar for what I call the descent into madness genre of horror where it's not a generic horror film with a set of protagonists that will survive the antagonist and It'll provide some jump scares and you'll feel tension and wonder, will they survive? But ultimately, no, they will all survive in the end. It chronicles this descent into madness that to me almost mirrors psychosis. And it's this psychotic fear or terror, as uh, even Stephen King would argue it might be described, where you simply don't know where it's going to go or when it's going to stop. And then you find out as it goes on, it's just not going to pull back. It doesn't hold any punches. It doesn't act in kindness to the viewer. It doesn't show mercy. And throughout it, there's just this underlying discomfort that it to me showcases the brilliance that it's not about just hitting the horror movie tropes. It's about defining absolutely new ones. Hmm. Well put. Um, 
yeah, I first heard about Evil Dead, I believe in like junior high and whatnot. And then, uh, and then one day, uh, I think we went to, a, I think it was like Total Video or something, went and rented the trilogy for a Halloween party, watched it, um, it just absolutely loved it. Though, I'll never forget, um, the part where, uh, Cheryl is, uh, you know, hears the, the voice outside, and, uh, my mom doesn't watch horror movies at all. She was, like, in the back on the computer or whatever. She came out, I guess, to see you know what was up and went to sit down. And I just remember the voice going, "Join us." And I guess she was half listening, but she like leans forward and she's like, "Did that voice just say donuts?" I'm like, "No, it's join us." <laughs> so I just remember throughout the entirety of the Evil Dead trilogy, we kept making like ridiculous donut jokes, like "Give me some sugar, baby." Well, yeah, for donuts, it was just stupid, ridiculous, <laughs> but you know, a lot of fun. Um, I think the Evil Dead is definitely. Um, inspirational uh especially if you want to be a filmmaker i mean you know they just they went out to do this wild wacky horror film and i i believe at first it kind of came out at some drive-ins and stuff and then uh and then it hit vhs and it it had i believe it had some popularity but then like all of a sudden it kind of lay dormant like a cult film does and then eventually with the internet and everything it started to grow grow and grow and now it's just this huge franchise uh, but uh, like Stephen King said, it's the ultimate experience in grueling terror, and I think that that holds true. Uh, you know, today, I mean, there's still scenes in that movie where I watch it, and I'm just like, you know. Um, so, despite all the small imperfections of it, it's still overall uh, the you know the whole is manages to manages to, to hold up. So yeah, I I definitely uh, say if you've never seen it and you like horror films give it a watch Tom do you have anything to say before we go into spoilers um, I, I, I uh, want to echo that one uh, gentleman's uh, comment uh, that Evil Dead is one of those what I call the rabbit hole films uh, where there's a some kind of slight premise but you find out it's you, there's no escape from it um, that you just go down it into a deep and disturbing well from which there is no return. In fact, there's usually sequels. And uh, I, I like that. I, um, uh, what, what, why, I, I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. Just saw it a couple, uh, about 10, 15 days ago up in Grand Rapids. We saw the 4K uh, restoration, which is uh, absolutely amazing. It's a new experience. And uh, Joe LaDuke's new sound and uh, music is uh, uh, is terrific, and it's a new experience. I recommend everybody at least see it once like that. Uh, I think what Sam did was made a film that's really conscience, conscious of the genre as it existed back in the 70s. Uh, a very aware of all the tropes, as you put it, all the little gags, the boo scares, how to develop tension. Um, also, uh, the the idea that well, what he wanted to do. I remember Sam just made comedies before this, really, just three stooge kind of level comedies, uh, lots of screwball things, uh, slapstick and uh, bad puns, just endless puns. And he would even use uh, lift sound effects from Three Stooges, uh, you know, getting hammered and the saw dragged and all, all that stuff. You know, boink, boink, boink. And uh, uh, the thing was, is 
to make a, a film, to get into the film business, which was Sam's option back then, uh, horror films were definitely the way to go because back then we had this drive-in industry, which is a shame we don't have as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But you could see a triple feature uh, at least every Friday night. And so that's a lot of movies they need to go through. And um, so you could pretty much sell pretty much any kind of horror film that you had. And so Sam went about it kind of, you know, scientifically in a good marketing way, and we started watching all the horror films we could so we could, you know, assemble the elements that would uh, satisfy people. And Night of the Living Dead was a huge influence. And um, the thing was is they didn't think they would have enough money to even get, like, a crowd of zombies or anything. So Sam came up with the idea was five characters, uh, some of them become possessed, and right when you're getting ready to kill them, they turn back to normal, which uh, mm-hmm. one of the, which fit into one of Sam's filmmaking theories that you torture the audience. You keep fucking with the rules that you set up. You have to adhere to them, but you set it up so that you exasperate and frustrate and constantly put keep your audience on edge because they don't know what you're going to throw at them next. It's brilliant. Well, so that uh, with that kind of uh, stuff, uh, Sam has a, a winning uh, approach to it. Plus, a lot of it also is his comedic timing. Just you throw some gore in there or something upsetting, and uh, instead of a punchline, and you've got horror. And, in fact, he used tropes from the Three Stooges. Um, of course, we're all familiar with Mo poking people with his, his, his eyes. Boink. Well, at the end of Evil Dead, uh, Ash gouges the eyes out of uh, out of Hal or of uh, Scotty. Yeah. And in Evil in Evil Dead Two, <clears throat> there's the uh, saw being dragged across somebody's head. Well, now it's a chainsaw through the head of the second Linda. That kind oh, right. of hilarity. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, but Sam uh, told me, you know, steal from the best and uh, make it your own. And also he thought you could learn a whole lot from watching bad horror films because you could take the same elements that they had in a film, in, in any particular scene, how many actors, how many lights, sets, props, and then the script, what had to happen. Let's see, the, the killer is being revealed in a slasher film. Well, he'd watch it and go, God, that kind of fell flat. You could have done this. You could have flipped this around or even changed hmm. some of sometimes the editing. But Sam was a um, is a genius. He's an encyclopedia of film technique and could analyze the film like I've never experienced since or, you know, before. And um, uh, that's a really useful skill for a young filmmaker because he knew how to get the most impact without throwing money at problems, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. which is my theory as well, not having any money to make my movies. <laughs> I think that uh, you brought up a really interesting point there that I guess shouldn't go unmentioned, is his experience in slapstick is evident in The Evil Dead. Like, yeah. even, even the simple scene where Ash is wrestling with the two possessed girls... And one of them grabs his ankle through the gap, and they're both yelling, "Join us!" And it's like it—it's—it goes into that how much can go wrong territory. 
And like it's it's something you don't usually see explored in horror, especially during this period. Usually it's one antagonist, one situation, the antagonist, you know, propelling the protagonist backwards as they flee. But here it is the main character truly stuck in a hellish situation that in any other context would be funny. Also, if you take uh, uh, Sam's horror films from Within the Woods, which is pretty much a hardcore horror film, and then Evil Dead, which is hardcore horror and dark humor. Mm-hmm. And then Evil Dead 2, which is about 50% horror, 50% uh, comedy uh, with that dark humor twist. And then Army of Darkness is pretty much Three Stooges. There really isn't a scare in it. But they seem to get you know onto the light side. And then you go to Fetty Alvarez's uh, Evil Dead film, and that's just hardcore horror. There isn't any inadvertent guffaw or joke or amusing situation at all. You know, when that girl's woman's uh, arm fell off, I wanted my mommy. That was just, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. a, a, a sledgehammer to the forehead to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> uh, and then uh, when the TV show came along, uh, I thought that was the perfect blend of all of the films from the goofy stuff uh, which Bruce does brilliantly to the uh, hardcore horror, you know, the unrelenting terror. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it, it kind of blended all that really well together. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to see if they come up with this new movie they're talking about. What I'm kind of hoping they do is do what Cameron did with Alien, and that is take it out of the realm of... Uh, some kids in an isolated location and make it like a big problem society and humans and maybe a city or something the world (laughs) has to deal with and bring in the Marines and all this and just let the shit hit the freaking fan. That's exactly the direction that I think that they should go with it too is this time make it be a worldwide problem. And of course it has to be Ash's fault. Sure. I mean, if if it's a matter of reciting the words, uh, I'm sure that idiot could find a way to get them broadcast. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it goes viral. Uh, I was just going to say, that's what I could see happening, is Ash screwing around with the book, and some smart-ass kid um, records it, you know? And he's like, Klaatu, Barata... And then he forgets the last word, and then he coughs it off. And then some kid posts a video on YouTube of local hero Ash Williams is a racist and and saying that they recorded him saying the bad word. So everybody tunes in, and it it, it just gets – every time someone watches the video – you know, screw head tube or something like that. You know, screw tube. You know, who knows? um, (laughs) Sounds like a fear. Every time – well, that, I'm not not gonna go into Lots's browser history, but um. Oh. But seriously, every time someone clicks on the video, it raises the dead, you know, or raises the demons. That's the best way that I could see him doing it. There's a uh, fun movie that uh, just came out on DVD and Blu-ray uh, from Australia called Necrotronic. Hmm. You heard of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not. It's uh, David Wenham is in it. Uh, Monica Bellucci, and uh, it's a terrific cast. And uh, but it's basically uh, 
uh, demons have figured out how to uh, spread through the internet, and there's somebody invented an app that you can see ghosts. You hold up your camera, you know, like you can see uh, little characters and stuff, and try to capture them. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can see ghosts, but you think it's uh, just a random internet image. No, there's actually ghosts there, huh. and uh, mm-hmm. they have a way of. And of course, everybody's hooked to their phone, hooked into their phone. And there's ways that uh, you hit a certain point in this video game that you become possessed and turn into demons. And then there's a crack team of demons, a family of demon hunters who are... But it's this crazy, insane Aussie film. But you mentioned how uh, Evil Dead uh, inspired people, and it's influenced a whole lot of films. Um, Robert Rodriguez did uh, From Dust Till Dawn, which is kind of his, you know, that dark humor with comedy, you know, tons of gore with comedy, mm-hmm. uh, demons, uh, was that, who, was that Fulky? Who, who did, who did demons? The Italian, um, the, the demons in the theater even had a guy who looked like, who dressed like, uh, Ash, you know, mm-hmm. blue shirt. Um, uh, but what was the it? Gate? Uh, Dagon by, uh, Stuart Miller kind of had that right to feel to it also had a main character look like ash in uh, um, the gate which we also reviewed oh the gate yeah, yeah. definitely uh a, a reanimator uh had that fun that, you know, that comedy slapstick black comedy thing yeah. and uh i don't yeah. know if there was a direct uh, oh. but anyway and it goes on yeah it phantasm 2 sure all right, from here on out is spoilers. So if you've never seen The Evil Dead, pause this review, go and watch it, and then come back. I have a uh, one question since you apparently contributed a lot to the practical effects of Evil Dead. Yeah. Um of there's going to be two parts to this question. Of the practical effects that you contributed or the ideas you came up with, is there any one scene or moment that you when it comes up you're just kind of like beaming with pride at how you made the most out of what you had to work with? And then on second part, is there any single part that comes up where you absolutely cringe the same way like a uh, woodsman might look at a very unfinished joint in an otherwise complete structure? Yes, when Ellen Sandwise looks up in her deadite makeup and I realize I wish I'd done more to her neck. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) It looks like it's all just kind of stuck on her face. But... uh, uh, that's that's the cringe part, um, but uh, boy, I remember that as being just a, a working on adrenaline the whole time. Um, Sam gave me about two or three weeks with the script before we actually started filming, which for an effects guy is, you know, just shoot me now because mm-hmm. uh, you had time to figure out what effects you need how you might do them and what supplies you might need to buy so you can take them along. And um, uh, so I was pretty much figuring everything out the night and building it the night before we shot it. Mm. And uh, I would figure out, find out, talk to Sam, what are we shooting tomorrow? And let's say it's Shelly's hand being cut off. And so I need to know what the position of her hand would be in relation to the camera so I couldn't, uh, make a foam rubber arm and not have the the uh, separation uh, lines in the mold, you know, uh, in the middle of the model, you know. 
have them perpendicular to the camera and uh, that kind of thing, which I did. And uh, uh, I, I was also trying to bring as much to the set as I possibly could, even things that weren't discussed with, with, um, with Sam from, cause basically he was filming 24 hours a day on the fricking set. And, uh, you know, and I, I had my stuff and then I'd also have to hang on the set and, you know, keep, uh, actors looking fresh in their dead at makeup, but, uh, <laughs> things like the, um, the, the, the bleeding dagger, the dagger that bleeds through its skull when, uh, they stab Shelly in the back with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, something I'd come up with the night before. I thought, hey, I could just drill a hole through the mouth, stick a tube in the back of the hilt, and, uh, you know, the hole in the mouth of the little skull headpiece there, and um, just have somebody blow blood through it. And I showed up to, to the set the day we were filming the Shelley stuff and mentioned it to Sam, and he got a close-up of it. And, um, uh, boy, there's all kinds of stuff that... Uh, Weren't, wasn't in the script. They needed an idea about the um, the mirror to have that mirror do a magical thing where he puts his hand in it. And I had seen a film called, uh, uh, it's Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, which did some interesting um, things where uh, Belle, the lovely young woman, travels to and from the beast's uh, lair through a, um, a mirror. And what they did was they built a pool in a mirror, a large mirror frame, but um, it's they would build it so it looked as though the the mirror frame was uh, it would actually be on the floor, but it would they, they would design it so it looked like as though it was on the uh, wall, you know. So all the other furniture and paintings and candelabras were all, uh, you know, laying down on the floor, and then they would raise. Uh, the actress, or they would have her on a hydraulic platform and low her, lower her into the perfectly still water. And then they would play that backwards so that when she raises out, she's coming out of perfectly still water, which make it look like a mirror. Hmm. These clever tricks. And so hmm. I came up with the idea, let's just build it by a small, like a four-foot kid's little plastic uh, uh, bed. Uh, pool, you know, went up about 18 inches, paint the interior black, put a section of the wall uh, on top of it, cut a hole out the shape of the mirror, and then lower it down so that uh, you're basically, the where the mirror is, you'll have the pool reflection. And then uh, you turn the camera at 90 degrees so it's, you know, perpendicular to the, or parallel to the the wall uh, that's on the floor and, or on the platform, and then uh, have uh, Ash leaning over on a bench so he looks like he's standing up, and then he can put his hand in it and look odd. Nice. Looks strange when he puts his – that kind of simple tricks. That's but I was, one of my I favorite was just scenes. Coming out, of, coming out of everywhere um, trying to get more into it, you know, and uh, trying to uh, figure out how can we – just add more to it with no budget. And uh, uh, that extended up until the finale when uh, we did the clay animation. Uh, originally, Sam just wanted uh, uh, me to build like a, a balloon version of, uh, of, of Cheryl and Scotty 
and then we would fill the balloons with smoke, and they would leak the smoke out and just kind of collapse. And all I could think of is that's, for all the gore we've had, that's not a very satisfying um, finale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, did about 11 or 12 little, uh, b- b- what are they called, uh, storyboards uh-huh. of, of, of the finale and sold Sam on the idea of doing clay animation and um, uh, filming it that way of them disintegrating. Then uh, he teamed me, he went with that and teamed me up with Bart Pierce. And uh, uh, Bart was, loved stop motion, but didn't think the idea of, of uh, clay animation would work because he, he thought from a marketing point, uh, stop motion kind of seemed to be a dead thing, which I really resisted. And he thought it's more the era of Dick Smith and Rob Baker and Rob Bottin, guys like that, you know, doing you know practical effects and live action, because stop motion kind of has that fantasy look to it, mm-hmm. which I really like. Well, but, it was uh, very fitting to the end of the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's got that. It does have that fantasy look, and we are dealing with some kind of supernatural force, so it would look unnatural. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm a, in big agreement with Ray Harryhausen on that point. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but we almost came to blows uh, over this topic until uh, I had this kind of Reese's Pieces moment where I thought, you know, hey, what if we, like, um, uh, did an in-camera effect and we would film, like, the front, the face of one of the deadites and do the clay animation meltdown and then, uh, but, but block out their hair and foreheads and you know the the ears and everything, and then have those disintegrate and have like live action bile leaking and hair fall hair out that kind of thing, so that we would um, have live action and stop motion in the same shot. And then Bart had this brilliant idea that what if we double exposed the stop motion shots, which adds a big complex thing to the the camera work of it. But uh, but what it does is it adds a slight blur. So you get away from the um, uh, that strobing look, you know that yeah, the flickering photo, my look. photo look. And uh, so we we did that, and uh, it turned into a great collaboration. We hit it off. We're buddies today, and uh, his sons are even filmmakers. Go figure. They've got a new film camera coming out. Right. They, yep. They filmed in Michigan. Anyway, but uh, but that was the whole point was to uh, how hmm. can I show off and demonstrate as many of my skills. And uh, I thought stop motion was just going to get better and better in, uh, in film, and that would be my next career. And then, of course, mm-hmm. by the time we do uh, Army of Darkness, about 10 years after that, it's all, you know, um, CGI, and, yeah. which is amazing when done correctly. Right. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. There, there was a time period where I was so sick of CGI. I never got tired of stop motion, but CGI, um, there was a point when I'm just like, you know what, Jurassic Park was it, and that that's the be-all, end-all of it. You know, now that we got Marvel making money, you know, they can expand upon it. But one thing I wanted to add, one, uh, I, I know I said this earlier, like when we first spoke, but I still got to say, my all-time, one of my all-time favorite moments in Evil Dead was the mirror trick. There is just yes, something yes. about that that it was a, it was Bruce's reaction, the way that he screamed, and just the way that it was done. 
and I know it was repeated in the I second agree one. I agree 100%. I love Bruce's scream when he pulls his hand out of the mirror. It's just so perfect. And then right before but that, I, you had the beams above his head making that sound like wah, 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 So, that was so, so perfect. Cool. But um, I know they repeated it again in a sense when you had the the mirror image of Ash come out. We just cut our girlfriend up with a chainsaw. Does that seem fine? You know, but there was something about that first mirror trick. And in Army and of Darkness. May- yeah, they did he it just again breaks, in Army He just sees a mirror and he's like, screw this, and he, breaks it. He knew better, you know? <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, 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 it was the way that it was shot, the way that it was executed, the whole idea was brilliant. And then while he's screaming that you feel bad for the poor bastard, and then you see the thing flash by outside, and he quick spins around and fires off another round. <laughs> you know, that just right as you're getting totally invested into it, you get hit with the with the, the shadow in the background moving. So that gives you a nice little jump. But that's my favorite scene out of all of them. It's basically what classed it as a descent into madness for me, is that's the moment where, like, it's even the mundane things that are more terrifying than all of the gore, all of the splatter, the dismembered girlfriend and sister. At this moment, like it's tr- something as simple as a mirror can become terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, out of torturing the audience is makes sus- everything suspicious. Uh, a, a window, a door, uh, a, a noise. It's just you, you're terrified of everything. Uh, in Evil Dead 2, there's the scene where uh, they're all hiding. They're all in a room, and they hear these noises. You know, and it's kind of a scene borrowed from uh, The Haunting, the Robert Wise uh, film. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But that idea that it, it, the director can make you jumpy about anything. He's just got to pull attention to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Sam loves to torture the audience. Sam loves to torture his actors, too, apparently, specifically Bruce. Yeah, yeah, that's one of his perks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we could do a quick rundown of the film. Uh, I always thought the, the opening was amusing when they're about to get in a car wreck, and um, Shelly, uh, she, like, uh, I don't know, like, seeing her face uh, against the window screaming, I don't know why that always gets me, just the way it was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> kind of staged yeah yeah well it's got that kind of tonal whiplash throughout the film that like that's one of the first moments of it where you really don't know what you're getting into same when 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 uh ash looks out of the car down at the uh board falling into the river and he just gives this look of utterly cowardly terror and slams the door <laughs> yeah like he doesn't he doesn't get out he's not like it's fine guys he is like this is not fine i am done He's not going to even process or make words at this moment. He is just shutting the damn door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, one thing I have to ask. Um, how come in uh, The Evil Dead, they call it Nachrome de Manto, and then Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and whatnot, it's Necronomicon Ex Mortis? Because I made the stupid mistake of telling uh, Sam about the Necronomicon. Uh, I was familiar with uh, Lovecraft. I had... Uh, was production designer on one of the coolest movies never made called The Cry of Cthulhu, now in novel form. Mm-hmm. And I'd done all these illustrations and some mock-ups and maquettes and uh, things like that. And um, it was, uh, uh, and so, you know, I'd read quite a couple of Lovecraft books because uh, our book, our movie is going to be based on the mythos, not an actual story. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, after Evil Dead was over, I mentioned, have you ever heard of the Necronomicon? It's just written by the mad Arab Abdul Abzrab or whatever. And um, uh, it's just, you know, a collection of spells and history and all this stuff. And uh, that became the title. And uh, I hate that because it's not, it is not his uh, Lovecraft's book whatsoever. Mm. His was tight and uh, was a big, thick thing bound in leather and, uh, you know, wasn't human faces. My The story of my book is that it was written by the, uh, produced by some wizard who was like the uh, Leonardo da Vinci of ancient Sumeria, some guy who had mm. figured out like a scientific method to, to research uh, test claims of the supernatural and actually had some success with it and put it all down into a book. And um, uh, thinking that this would help him get into the uh, inner circle of some, you know, tyrant or uh, despot or something. And I'm sure it happened because uh, Sumerians have been, you know, extinct for thousands of years now. And uh, mm. then uh, Fetty Alvarez's book in his film, uh, is like the How to Stop It book. Uh, it has woodcuts and engravings, which would be 15th century Europe, and also has references to Beelzebub and Satan and uh, things like that, which would be, you know, Christian from that era. And um, uh, there's their, their book is like the How to Stop It book, um, you know, and it's had many owners over the years, and uh, that drove them all nuts because <laughs> they would say, they have to deal with this problem that seems insurmountable for mere humans. Wait, but why was it pronounced uh, Nachrom Damanto, though, on the tape player in the first movie? Oh, um, uh, that's just something Sam came up with. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he learned about the Necronomicon Ex Mortis and changed it. Okay. Also, isn't yeah. that yeah. the name of the demon in Latin to some effect? What's that? Nostrum de Monto? Uh, that could be. I hadn't heard that one. Hmm. My Latin is really out of date, so I may be 100% <laughs> off base here. Right. Also, if I'm not mistaken, during that, that tape playing scene, I heard uh, some of the actors were, were getting high off the, the marijuana. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think any of them actually smoked uh, back at <laughs> that time. Uh, but... Uh, I was the art director, unpaid, uncredited art director, and it was my job to actually roll that joint that they smoked. <laughs> and, uh, my pot, too. And because uh, uh, I was pretty much, there's even a page of the Book of the Dead dedicated to that evil wheat marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Can you That's imagine great. a credit like that? Rolled the joint. The roller. <laughs> Um, one thing I'm, uh, that I, I pointed out last night when we watched it, too, that if you listen closely um, during the recitation of the words, uh, there's a bit of a mention to Sam being a hiker down the road. Yeah. And when, that, um, that, uh, in the beginning, when they're driving down the, the road and they honk at the two guys, mm-hmm. Sam was honking, you. honking at you. That, that's, that's Sam and Rob. Yeah, and uh, the the one thing um uh mostly just uh it's pretty amazing based on what you've told us about working under constraint what you managed to do under that constraint and it kind of reminds me about what you hear about the haiku that like brilliance comes from operating under intense constraint like you had to work with what you had and it's, if if anything I take away from what you've said is that people working on their own amateur films should not be so much reinventing the wheel but flying by the seat of their pants to an extent 
Yes, and there's a, a great exhilaration with that, uh, a creative one. And um, uh, in our case, it worked really well. Um, plus, I had a director who made all of us look really good. The actors, the photographer, the camera people, um, uh, the, my special effects especially. And I had actors who made my my stuff look really good. Mm. And uh, uh, it was a, a, a terrific combination of personalities where, um, uh, you know, Sam isn't a yelling, screaming, dictatorial director at all. It was very collaborative and fun. Um, being on the set was like hanging with the three studios. I, I kid you not, everybody was one-lining. <laughs> yeah, Sam and, Bruce, and Rob Tappert's Rob, a yeah. funny guy, too. Uh, and it just put the uh, uh, thing on the set was very collaborative, very, you know, it was, um, I called it uh, a summer camp without adult supervision, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it was uh, it, it was kind of cool. There was no assholes on the set, no divas, no um, attitudes, no fights. We, you know, everybody was exhausted, and we're but we're trying to get it done so we can go home. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and it was difficult, you know, and painful at mm-hmm. times. And holy cow, you know, you heard the horror stories about the um, uh, contact lenses and, and and all that, and just wearing the makeup all day long is. Or all night long in the middle of winter and missing missing eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, but also that also translates into the film, which mm-hmm. makes it. I think the same is true of Night of the Living Dead. The conditions weren't great on that film either. You know, you're filming all night long and uh, you're just exhausted and tiring, and things have to get done quickly. And uh, everybody, even extras on films like that, are aware that. There's time crunches and you're miserable and you know takes hours to get into the makeup and everything and then you got to spend hours performing. Yeah, but waiting. when you put, when you when you have the right situation though, that's the best time. I mean, in a situation like Night of the Living Dead or like you know the situation that uh, Mr. Ashley J. Williams found himself in, you know, you're supposed to be hurt, you're supposed to be tired, you're supposed to be exhausted. So it's almost doing the job for you so you don't have to act it. Well, it's method acting to an extent, yeah. Yeah. And, and method acting. You, actors always use that stuff. It's it's mm-hmm. essential. Uh, and that's where you come up with interesting choices and opportunities and uh, uh, gives your characters that lived-in feel, you know? Oh, yeah. I think uh, it'd be easier if we kind of roundtable like favorite scenes, but so then I have to, I definitely have to point out that, that pencil to the ankle scene. Oof. Still yeah, holds up just as much today. Oh, my, my leg shakes like a dog getting its belly scratched when I watch that. It's just like all and over that was the what, place. I think one of the first effect shots that we, we filmed. Um, and I was really glad it went the way it did. Cause that was a one shot, one take kind of event. Only had one leg, <laughs> and did you, uh, did you ever hear the story of how that occurred? Um, uh, the, I had made a, a cast uh, the night before. Uh, I contacted Sam and said, "Okay, what are we shooting tomorrow?" Well, we're going to stick a pencil in Linda's leg, and I so I said, "Okay, what pose is she in?" And she's um, on her left knee, and her right leg is is uh, she's on her right foot, but her, you know, she's kind of crouched down, so her uh, right knee is up in the air. And uh, 
and that she's wearing uh, low heel loafers and so and no socks, so I can see her her extended leg, you know, mm-hmm. from her, her coming out of her pants. And so I cast her foot in that position where she had to hold her toes up, you know, mm-hmm. and have the, her foot bent. And um, uh, then I put that cast that in the foam rubber, painted it in um, uh, uh, acrylic paint. It looked flesh-like, and I hollowed out the far side from the camera uh, of the ankle, and so it was kind of hollow, and then I put a blood balloon in there and made it so that there was just a thin layer of uh, latex, like one thin layer, uh, right where she should stab. And um, then uh, Ellen had the, the pencil, the number two Ticonderoga, carefully sharpened, and um, uh, when she stabbed the balloon, uh, you know, in the fake leg um, that was in the trouser and all that, uh, Sam goes, where's the blood? We got to see blood twisted around. And that's what she does. And that's Ooh. what's in the foam. And so you see it stretching the flesh. And it kind of looks like foam rubber, but it also looks incredibly painful. Yeah. And I yeah. think we all, we all instinctively know how painful it is to have an injury to your uh, Achilles tendon. If you've mm-hmm. ever done that, it is crippling. It, it's oh, the worst pain you could ever go through. Oh boy, yeah, it's it's right up there with getting rocked in the nuts. It's, yeah, but it's I, it feet. definitely. It, it, I, I tore the tendon in there once, and it was just I want to walk. Uh, no, you don't. You know, you, you it, yeah. it takes you out completely. Oh boy, and it's also such an early moment in the film, like in other films, like. Uh, should I want to say House of Wax? There's an there's an Achilles tendon slice, but it's around like mid action, mid game. This is so early on to have a character just completely taken out of commission in a way that's not gonna be recovered or ignored. Yeah, and, and before that, what happens to Ellen is the vine rape attack. Yeah, and uh, boy, I remember big discussions with Sam because I to me it seems so violent that. Uh, it's going to stop the movie. And his attitude was, well, you got to slug the early on to get the audience's attention. You have to hit them in the forehead with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. And that's just what happened. And I remember um, he had just had an edit of the film and was showing his mom a a section of it. And it was that section. So we're in his mom's house (laughs) watching this. And um, yeah, yeah. And then there's a vine rape. And uh, I also remember when we were filming, uh, just beginning to film Evil Dead 2, Sam uh, hired a local small theater in our t- in this town we were in, Wadesboro, and um, screened Evil Dead 1 for everybody, just so we'd all be on the same page, you know, kind of know what kind of film we're trying to make or uh, at least basing it on. And um, I sat next to Sam during it. And when the vine rape came up, he buried his, and I'm sitting right next to him, he buried his head into his hands and said, why did I turn it into pornography? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, I think he did, um, it does an extraordinary thing there, though, where it's like, yes, this is demonic. It's not just going to scare her. It literally is a kind of perverse demon that is taking absolute pleasure in the decimation of humanity. 
The first thing that happens in Evil Dead is like the worst thing that happens after sitting through most of The Exorcist. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's suddenly it's like it, it is a a, for, a sledgehammer into the forehead of the audience. Mm-hmm. And from there on, you know you're in the rabbit hole, and if you're getting out, it's only at the mercy of the filmmaker. Right. And I do want to say that that vine rape scene actually was not nearly as bad as it could have been, and it didn't really feel exploitative in any way. Uh, it was very understated, but it actually did a very good job of conveying what it was meant to convey. Of course, it gave Ellen Sandweiss a splinter in her career. Oh, <laughs> Ouch. oh the sound, sorry. The, the sound design of that scene is also uh, what makes it shocking because you see legs opening up and you don't know, you kind of assume and you're like, when's it going to happen? Then you have that kind of that thwack sound. It's like, geez. Actually, that reminds me. I was expecting something a lot like that worm scene in um, Galaxy of Terror, which was just disgusting and yeah. very unpleasant to watch. Uh, the vine scene actually is substantially tamer and much less, and much less gross, but much more scary. Hmm. Yeah. It's very merciless, is how I described it the other night. Yeah, yeah. But it, it really opens the trap door in that you don't know what you're falling into anymore. Uh, is it going to be this bad for everybody? And yeah, yeah, pretty much one way or another. It's like, hmm, Scotty didn't get raped, did he? Because he was pretty messed up when he came back. Well, he came back with a branch jammed into his belly. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> in my in my reading, he actually was raped. Like that may be, you know, just the rule interpretation. Could be, yeah. Because he, he kind he of comes back psychologically destroyed. Uh, he uh, he's been traumatized. Clearly. Well, uh, that's definitely something that you can also uh, credit to Sam Raimi. He's first horror movie to have uh, progressive thinking trees. <laughs> Equal opportunity. Um. I was going to say, uh, what's interesting about Scotty is the fact that in Evil Dead, or at least in Army of Darkness, it seems like Ash should pick up some of, like, Scotty's smart-ass traits. But in the first film, he's very much uh, kind of this geeky character who constantly is getting thrown in the bookshelves and whatnot. Yes. I have a theory about that. Why uh, It kind of falls apart when you get to the TV show. Okay. But that Ash goes insane about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through Evil Dead. And that in Evil Dead 2... Um, the facts change because uh, the deadites and evil dead don't kill anyone. Ash kills them. And um, the, what might have flipped him if evil dead is actually all in Ash's head that the people turn into deadites, that uh, it, it was the uh, guilt of trying to make love with Linda while your sister is upset and in the building. It's it's like this Catholic conflict <laughs> of sexual tension and guilt just kind of cracked his head open. And uh, uh, when uh, we filmed Evil Dead, it was called Book of the Dead, and Sam got an agent who said, if you have book in the title of a motion picture, kids might think they're going to be expected to read at some point during the film. <laughs> so Sam asked everybody for title suggestions, and my first was Sex Bad, Must Kill, and it kind of works because <laughs> it, it, it's about, uh, you know, Ash's sexual repression. Because the weekend was originally, 
uh, Scotty and Shelly and Ash and Linda are going to go to a cabin and spend the weekend hooking up. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when you see as the, as the camera goes outside the window early on, you see uh, Scotty and uh, Shelly, they're peeling their clothes off. They're, there's no shame. You know, they've done this before. No, no biggie. Mm-hmm. And but Ash and Ash and uh, Linda. Oh, here, Linda. Here's a token of my affection for you. He does get a kiss, but it's 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 like a, it's ridiculous. He's not going to get laid. I mean, unless she takes him by the hand, kind of thing, you know. And um, but then she's uh, then uh, what's her name is there? Uh, uh, Cheryl. Right. And the idea what the 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 backstory was that uh, Cheryl was going to have. Kind of the same similar kind of weekend with her boyfriend, but not only did it not happen, he broke up with her and is going out with going to do that same weekend with his new girlfriend, mm-hmm. and so she's destroyed and she's also uh, Linda uh, and uh, Shelley's best friend. So oh, we'll take you along, you know, thinking you know right. it would work somehow, and that's why Shelley is in a or uh, Cheryl is in the bed, is peed off the whole time. She's you know her heart's right, broken, right. and um, mm-hmm. uh, and so and then in number two, uh, more people show up and more tension, and he's just he he uh, he in the storyline, he in number two there is no Scotty or Shelley uh, or Cheryl. There's a Linda, and uh, he deals with her. You know, and her body is even more macabre and more. You know, she does the death dance and her head comes off and. Uh, you know, he cuts her head and <laughs> can't stop de- demolishing poor Linda. And um, but but the other characters are gone. Why? Because uh, he can't deal with the reality that he killed them. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then in Army of Darkness, at the end of Evil Dead Two, he goes into uh, or at the end of Evil Dead, he's already he's made that psychotic break when um, the uh, camera you know smashes through the cabin and then grabs him and then we find that point is in evil dead 2 picks him up and takes him into the vortex and drops him into uh um 1300 ad where he's completely psychotic i mean now he's in a delusional uh mind snap and um and we know this because england was never an arid desert region if uh, uh you know Kmart never sold guns. Here's <laughs> S-Mart. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's in la-la land, you know, and uh, he comes off as like a joke male. It's like a, a male he's only read about in Men's Saga magazine, you know, some 60s World War II's, you know, mindset things uh, where the white guy comes in and saves everything and women fall at his feet. You know, come here, baby, give me some sugar. It's like, who <laughs> talks like that? You know, or plays a piano, like, and it's a player piano. <laughs> it's, it's not, you're not fooling anybody. And, um, uh, but it's like, Ash is just completely insane by the end of the thing. And, uh, um, and the TV show picks up 30 years later, okay, maybe he's gotten some treatment, you know. <laughs> Hopefully. And he, he can function as, a, a, you know, a retail guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's about it. That's about it. 
Well, yeah, I would say our interpretations are very much in line with each other. I was talking about it last night, but in my mind, they're, and this isn't meant to insult the series or anything, because you said early on in this interview that they're, um, this is the type of film that there's not typically a sequel for. To me, there is almost no sequel that's in the universe anymore. Because at the end of Evil, the first Evil Dead, my interpretation has almost always been that his injuries are so multitudinous, what has happened to him so traumatic, that there will not be an intact Ash after the end of it. And then it's interesting because like the way I say it is there isn't a sequel, but the way you say it actually fits in the same way in that all of the other sequels are just a continued documentation of his descent into madness. The rabbit hole from which there's no escape. Mm-hmm. And then 30 later, it continues. <laughs> See, I think Ash lost his chance of getting laid with Linda when he gave her that pendant. <laughs> the magnifying glass. She's like, really? She's thinking, oh, this is beautiful. And she's like, really? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Ash, we can burn ants together. Yeah. I know originally it was supposed to be a plot device, but since it got dropped, it's like, it's like why did he get her that? <laughs> well, magnifying glass is kind of interesting because uh, you look at things up close. And oh. that seems to be avoided. <laughs> maybe, maybe Ash is having problems and he, she can see it closer now. Ouch. <laughs> that wasn't what I think he was going for, but that was pretty good. Actually, well, um, what was it? What did I say last night? Um, watch, you got it from Tiffany's, and it's engraved in there or something, and she just kicks Ash's ass. Who the hell is Tiffany? <laughs> it definitely, uh, it's an interesting little artifact from an earlier iteration of the script that had me, like when I was younger, had me thinking a lot about, like, what does it mean? But it's interesting in the context of the larger film where a lot of it is subversion to an extent anyway. Mm. So it's the token of romance is kind of how I see it now. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, before I forget, um, blah, blah, blah. This, uh, since we're doing the, the favorite parts individually, this is actually kind of a, a bit of a two-parter because there's also a question in and of it. Um, well, I, I already said that one of the favorites was the mirror scene. And one of the second ones was when Linda was singing to him, you know, we're going to get you, not another peep. And then he just grabs her and drags her out. There's just something so hilarious about that. You know, it's just, you're out of here. But, um, when he was dragging her outside, I had read somewhere and I, and you'd be the best person to ask this actually, was there a different design for her? Yeah, as yeah. Far, as far as the deadite makeup goes, it almost looks right. kind of reptilian to me, like like a snake. Um, what it is is what it's the design that eventually became Shelley's design with these black veins radiating out from her eyes, and mm-hmm. uh, that was the first uh, that Linda thing pulling her out was the first makeup uh, uh, sh- design I'd done that was that we shot. And it was right at daybreak. Uh, we had to shoot it. We had time to do it like once or twice, I think, before um, it would just be too light and wouldn't look like night. And um, uh, he drags her out, and uh, she just sold it. It was uh, the first time, because um, it was fairly early in the, in the shooting, that we realized, oh, yeah, we're making a horror film. Because everything up 
up to that point was we were shooting the exposition and just, you know, character and settling into the the um, uh, cabin kind of stuff. And uh, this is the first time where it's like, oh, shit, this is a horror film. And Linda or, or Betsy Baker sold it. I, I remember everybody felt like in shock. You know, not only were we exhausted from the end of a long day of shooting, but um, uh, the way she performed it was just the way she's wriggling around and screaming. And uh, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And with those contacts, and she just sold it so well. I was so lucky that I had actors who uh, ran with the makeup, you know, made me look good. Yeah, she I, seemed I, so I, amused by his attempt to get her out was my interpretation. <laughs> like, she wasn't well, really going to fight it. She's just like, okay, I'm I'm going to play along. <laughs> but not like the actress. I mean, the demon itself is, like, literally not going to do anything it totally could do because this is amusing. Yeah, I think you're you're right on there. Yeah, I think that's that's the. Yeah, it's it's she's not she doesn't need to go anywhere. She's got him. Yeah. He's got to deal with her. Outside, inside, she'll be back because they they all that's one of what they do. Right. Yeah, it, they, it was kind of like you. it was kind of like all right, I'll allow this and see where this goes. You know, it was just a game to her. But what what um it, it was it was a very striking image to me when he had her outside. Like even as a kid, that looked scary. I mean, the inside I loved it because it looked like a bad you know makeup doll job. You know, like all fluffed up and everything. Uh, it, yeah. It's almost like those those glamour shots that people would take. But when you get her outside, she's clawing at the ground. Oh and God, yes. It, oh. You know, that that was striking. And the way that the makeup was, it was like a wild animal trying to get loose. And he's got, it's like having a cat by a tail. But the way that, that uh, the makeup was on her, that was fantastic. But I, like I said, I had read and there was, you know, no, never really any confirmation that I had seen, you know, but did you come into the makeup designs? I'm sorry to just blur off another question like this, but did you come into the makeup designs like with a theme in mind for each girl? Well, uh, there's an interesting evolution of the makeup designs because originally uh, just kind of taking ideas from the script where Sam talks about ancient Sumeria and all that, which I kind of imagined was like a proto-Egyptian civilization. And the Egyptians, uh, it's not like I went to the library and certainly didn't have Google or anything like that. Yeah. But I just figured um, gee, the Egyptians kind of you know, used uh, dogs and uh, uh, eagles and uh, snakes and things in their imagery. So I, I actually I had face castings, just the front of, their, of the actors' faces. Everybody but Bruce, he didn't need anything like that. But um, for Shelley, Cheryl, Scotty, and Linda... Uh, I had uh, face casts, and I, I did uh, some clay sculptures of, uh, I think Linda got turned into a snake, so it was kind mm -hmm. of a snake face, and uh, Scotty, a dog, and um, uh, Shelly, what was she? I forgot. Uh, oh, like a bird thing. And I showed just their sculptures to Sam, and he's going, and eh, it's starting to look like uh, Planet of the Apes. Let's try something else. And uh, so I said, well, let's not, I won't rip off John Chambers. Let's rip off Dick Smith. And uh, I'll make, <laughs> uh, 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 we could turn, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Cheryl into like the possessed demon from Exorcist. Hmm. 
Mm. And uh, we had the white contact lenses, and I thought, white contact lenses, dark circle around the eyes. You did get that contrast, look scary, be natural. And then uh, Sam had the idea that maybe the, the demons make you into like a caricature of yourself, and that evolved into Linda being like the idealized doll that you noticed. Mm-hmm. And Sam's mom uh, uh, had a shop called Lulu's Lingerie. Her name wasn't Lulu. But uh, she had uh, all these mannequins, and we Sam grabbed a couple of them. And so I actually made a, a mold of one of the faces of the mannequins and made a latex uh, prosthetic for uh, Betsy. And um, that was like the stage two uh, of her makeup. And then the stage one was it was just painted on where I had a circle around her eyes so it would, it would prepare for the mask-like of the of the mannequin face, late uh, prosthetic, you know, that would be phase one would just be painted on. And, uh, you know, for the mm-hmm. rouge uh, and the cheeks and, you know, slightly pasty uh, face and, you know, uh, uh, red lips and all that uh, with the dark eyes and the contact lenses. And that looked pretty cool. And then uh, she can, uh, what, I, what, what was I was going for was, um, that the makeups can change, that the, the, the demonic designs could change uh, almost from shot to shot. Uh, mm-hmm. And they kind of do, the way uh, uh, Cheryl's jump around uh, from looking, you know, kind of bad to really bad, you know, almost in, in instances. And uh, also puke up different colors, orange, white, yellow, green, blood, that, it, whatever it's doing, it's fucking with your physiology as well, and um, it just it you're just you're just clay to it, which also I thought, hey, that kind of fits into the clay animation thing, <laughs> uh, that that would eventually just dis- dissolve, you know, just dis- disintegrate, and um, but yeah, it, it it all evolved like that, and then the one that did stay was Scotty as the dog, because he deserts mm-hmm. his. Uh, uh, he deserts his pal, and um, there's an interesting story with that because one of the films that Hal Delrich saw when he was a kid and influenced him to be a, an, uh, an, an actor was How to Make a Monster, the Roger Corman film, mm-hmm. where uh, a, a makeup guy uh, gets uh, a kid, uh, was it Michael Landon, and convinces him, you know, come on, make some money, just let me try some new... Uh, uh, makeup uh, uh, materials on your face, and the spirit gum uh, does something hallucinatory to him. So when he's in a werewolf makeup, he thinks he's actually a werewolf and goes out and kills people. And uh, so uh, Hell, or Rich Demanticore, his real name, uh, he sees that, and then years later, I'm he's in the chair, and I'm turning him into a dog, and he has this epiphany that I've come full circle. I wanted to be the guy in the chair getting made up into a werewolf, and here I am. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have the werewolf hair on his face. But um, there was that, you know, it was kind of, and there was also a cool little effect you'd be able to see. You can see it in DVD, but it's mm-hmm. really, you see it better in Blu-ray. In 4K, it'll be even clearer. But when he's um, demolished at the end, of, he's sitting on the couch and he's got that stick coming out of him and he's all beat up and his face is all cut up. Um, Mm -hmm. I had, when we drove down to uh, Tennessee to film this, we stopped at a bar along the road uh, to get some food. And uh, in the bar, it had a little cup with these little micro thin stirring little 
you know, drink straws, but really tiny little things. And I grabbed about 10 of them. And um, I couldn't think of a use for them until we came to that scene. And what I did was I took one of these straws, and they're about three or four inches long, and I put a, um, I, I straightened out a uh, uh, paper clip and put it inside and carefully heated the paper clip very slowly so I could bend it so it looked like a S-shaped uh, straw. So it had like a spigot to it. And I painted the ends black uh, in acrylic paint. And then I put that underneath the latex makeup uh, over his lip, his upper lip, so that his lip looked like it had been smashed and swollen. And um, so there's a little spigot that goes into up into his nostril and then turns around. And then under the makeup, that straw goes into his mouth. And so he could have blood in his mouth and blow it out through the straw and look like he's hemorrhaging out his nose. Hmm. And you can actually see it in the side. You can see blood coming out of his nose. And um, uh, he's very proud that it got noticed. We were hoping for <laughs> a, a punch shot where that would be more uh, uh, prominent. More, you know, but it, that didn't happen. But it was, in fact, that another little detail. Uh, I think I, I'm not even sure we told Sam about that. I was just uh, me and Hal worked it out, and um, that kind of thing. I was always trying to bring more to the set than what was required. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you have prior experience of doing a lot of makeup stuff, or was this sort of like your first time doing it on set, or what? Oh yeah, this was this was the big. Uh, other than within the woods, uh, and then my own home experiments. Uh, trying to make things, you know, for stop motion models and whatever. Uh -huh. But uh, uh, I did not know much or, or anything really about making mold, uh, which got me into some problems. And uh, uh, I just, uh, I figured, hey, lie on your resume, you know, it's just the effects guys. Uh, <laughs> lawyers and doctors lie on theirs. Why can't an effects guy? And, uh, but I, I was prepared enough uh, for the opportunity when it came along. And uh, fortunately, I'm a genius also, so it all worked out just fine. <laughs> I but, love uh, it. Uh, but uh, that, you know, uh, necessity and the mother of invention and working your butt off uh, paid off. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I've read uh, If Chins Could Kill by Bruce. <laughs> I've, I heard some things that happened. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, wasn't there like Don't leave us hanging like that? <laughs> it's like I heard some things and then you just drop it. Um, didn't one of yeah. the actresses uh, accidentally lose their eyebrows when getting some plaster pulled off? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've learned about alginate and other things since then. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then fortunately, like on uh, after after Evil Dead Two. I got hired by a Chris Wallace Studios to work on the fly part too. Right. And there I'm working with a bunch of top A-list, um, you know, special effects guys. And so that was like my college education and how to make molds and uh, <laughs> materials and, and all that, uh, materials and techniques. And uh, just seeing the incredibly high level. Because if they weren't working at Chris Wallace Studios, they were working at ILM, which is just, about five miles away awesome. and uh it was this this cool collegiate environment where um you know working with pros rather than you know uh kids in a basement kind of thing uh right. you know 
uh, it was just a, an amazing experience, and uh, I'll never forget that. Plot, what was your favorite part, since this was um, a first viewing for you? Stabby Stabby in the backy with the blood coming out. That was really, that, that doesn't sound like it was that difficult getting the blood to come out of there, but that actually still holds up even to this day. The water scene is, of course, the one that everyone has mentioned, but that is a legitimately uh, impressive scene. I mean, even with the modern day, you know, production abilities, I don't think you can make it look that much better. And uh, I like the fact that uh, Ash actually got a, had a shotgun, but it was only a single shot, seeing as how this is uh, Evil Dead 1. Although, in Army of Darkness, you probably shouldn't have a three-barrel shotgun. Just to stick with the overall, uh, you had a barrel for each sequel. See, that's the I funny know. thing is every every time I see a gun in a movie, I I, I immediately think, would lots like that gun? <laughs> have you seen Evil Dead Two or the other Evil Dead films? I haven't seen Evil Dead Two, but I did see Army. Be interested in your reaction to that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he 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 he's got to lose his Evil Dead Two uh, cherry. <laughs> that's a lot of cherries. Oh my god. That's a ball of cherry. Um, <laughs> I, I I gotta do my Anne Ramsey voice. Ellen, what was your favorite part? When they're when they're carrying uh, her dismembered body out in the sheet to bury it in the woods, mm -hmm. it's genuinely mm -hmm. just horrifying and a little too accurate to what a dismembered body in a sheet being carried between two people might look like. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because uh, uh, we didn't have money for bodies and mannequins, and the hitchhikers are so much cheaper. <laughs> right? That's great. And then the second one would have to be actually right before the backstab when she chews off her hand. Ah. Everyone, oh, yeah, well, everyone is just, it's a showstopper for the entire cast as they just stand there like, uh, like, Let's do we attack her? Let, do we attack her? Do we just let, she's hurting herself. Like, why are we hurting her if she's gleefully doing this? It like, it's that torture the audience, but also the characters are just momentarily in a true psychological hell as they realize that this demon does not care about being hurt. And it could do the same thing to them at any time. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, an inexplicable horror. Sam really came up with something here. You know, this isn't just a noise or, or something. This is uh, thoroughly malevolent. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it also takes your friends and makes them betray you. And so you have to, the only way you can defend them is to cut them up, to defend yourself is to cut them up in little pieces. What is and then it can fuck with you after you've done all that. There isn't any reward. There's no safe place. There's nothing you can do to placate this demon. It's, you know, it's just there to torment. It is and everywhere. And that pretty much describes Sam Raimi right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one he of can, he, he, he can, film. He can oh, fuck with you whenever he wants to. So just be glad that you didn't get it too bad. Oh. Yeah. I gotta ask about the scene where when uh, the blood's coming down the walls and all that stuff. Um, did you uh, assist with all that too? Is that when he's going crazy in the basement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, what I did assist with on that is when the projector goes on 
and it projects a white screen on Bruce, and blood is dripping on the projector lens. Uh-huh. And I love that shot. Um, uh, when Bart Pierce and I, uh, we met early on after we decided how we're going to do the special effects shot, and we did a, a proof of concept shot where we did a split screen where we took a piece of black. We had a piece of glass in front of the camera uh, on a stand. Everything weighted down with sandbags. And um, I had built a, uh, a skull, a plastic skull uh, face of, uh, of the deadite. Uh, it didn't actually resemble, uh, the, for the test, it didn't resemble uh, uh, Cheryl, um, but it, it, was, it worked, you know. And for the for the idea, and we, then we painted out the hair and everything but the the clay face of this model. We painted all that out in black, so that when we filmed it unlit, the black uh, glass, it would um, not register as exposed film. And then I would animate the face uh, with little pencil things, one frame at a time, 24 frames a second, and um, then we uh, got our three or four seconds of that animation and then rewound the film to the beginning to, you know, as a frame counter, we went back to zero and then we painted out the face and removed the paint for the, the hair. And then we had uh, bile going through tubes in the skull and we blow bile down and pull hair on a couple of strings, make it look like, you know, the flesh is coming down, but that would be live action filmed. And it's all combined in the camera when you film it. And Bart did an amazing job making sure the exposures were were dead on and all this. And um, uh, it was a successful test. But on that same footage, after we had done the the stop motion uh, bit, which was only, you know, four or five seconds, and yet it took a full day, uh, we we put up a white card, and uh, uh, Bart filmed as I... Paint poured black or red uh, food colored uh, our fake blood onto this white card, and that's what became the the uh, film footage that we projected onto Bruce when he's uh, in the basement going crazy, uh, and the uh, blood seems to project onto him. Mm-hmm. So that's the long story behind that shot. But that was the <laughs> second part of uh, the same reel of our test shot. And then you led from there right into what I must say is actually like my true favorite scene, which is weirdly the climax of the film, the disintegration of the bodies. Because like you would think that because like Sam Raimi's idea was cool, the smoke coming out, them deflating, like you said, but it didn't really fit in with what had been established throughout the film. And what really sticks out to me is like when I'm watching this, because I'm actually what I do when I'm doing this is I actually have it silent double speed playing on a big screen right now. It's like a Fourth of July finale of gore, and then the oh, arm the arms come out of the bodies, and it just gets to that madness level of like like the orchestra is playing is how I interpret those arms coming out it's like the it's the true <laughs> finale of madness is just what the hell is happening? Is the door opening or the demons coming out? Like, is it about to get a lot worse? Is everything literally, are like untold Lovecraftian beings about to crawl out of their disintegrating bodies? And then it all just collapses. And of course it has the double meaning where uh, I am the guy wearing the gloves, throwing the guts out of those 
body. Oh, you are? Awesome. And I thought that as the effects guy, I wanted to throw guts into the audience's lap, and it's exactly what I did. And uh, uh, when I uh, when I heard Sam's idea for the finale, um, all I could think of is uh, like a, a for a finale. I think of like you said, a fireworks finale, where for an hour, you know, they shoot one off. Cool, cool. And then, and then for the finale, you know, for an hour, it's just one after another. But for the finale, it's like we lit them all off at the same time, and there's a war going on. You know, mm-hmm. it's blam, 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 blam. And after all the gore, and we start off strong, you know, with a lot of psychological assaults and mm-hmm. things that would traumatize people. And then it gets gory, you know. <laughs> you know, we, we rape people, stick them in the leg with pencils, then start ripping their, you know, cutting arms off. It just escalates. And so the finale should be literally bodies exploding. And uh, so I came up with the, this finale, and uh, and it worked. And uh, Sam just said, keep, keep sending footage. And we had about 35 shots, and uh, two, I think at least two were cut out because they were just too gross, mm-hmm. where uh, snakes, uh, bile, snakes, and cockroaches gush out of the eyes and mouth of the skulls of uh, Scotty and Shelly. I love how there's a meter and, uh, of this movie of something being too gross. <laughs> yeah, but we, we did film them, and they exist, but uh, they're not in the film. Those should be on the special features of the Blu-ray. Uh, finale uncut. I like that. Yeah. Quote, I like that quote. An orchestra of gore that should be on the the new covers of the movie. <laughs> it is. What are you talking about? It's got to be called the Gorkestra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. But I, I, I like the idea of me conducting the orchestra with my flailing arms. severed arm baton. The maestro of of macabre. <laughs> or mutilation. Uh, Go well, while we've talked about the gore and everything, uh, I think one aspect of the film that might be overlooked is that unlike with many later horror films, the characters in this are not horribly annoying. And I yes. think that actually helps with the overall horror aspect of the film. You're not rooting for these people to be horribly murdered because they're so annoying. You actually feel bad for them when, when like, literally... <laughs> Everyone they care about is getting killed in like the worst possible way. And, and also, honestly, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, I kind of like this version of Ash a little bit more because he seems much more human. The wisecracking Ash works well enough, but I like the more realistic version just a tiny bit more. Yeah, and Sam's once again playing with the audience because when you when you first meet the characters um, in Evil Dead. <laughs> Uh, and you think, well, Scotty's the alpha. He'll he he's can take care of himself. He's a hero. And uh, and Ash is well. He's you know he's first to go. And uh, then they they screw with all that. It's part of once again uh, mess up with your expectations, and uh, just keep just keep torturing the audience because uh, suddenly the weak guy is suddenly the only one who can hope for survival. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, he comes now, across um, as so vulnerable, and that's one thing I adore about it. Is like even just the scene I, I I described it as the breaking point last night when he's pouring the water into his friend's mouth, and he can't even 
perceive that the water is not being drunk, that it's just coming out of the corners of his mouth. It gives me like these Saving Private Ryan or other like war movie connections where like the soldier has been broken by the war. Uh, and uh, he's either a sociopath where he can't register it or there's a severe trauma there. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he can't deal with the fact that his buddy might be dead. Uh, yeah, it, what's implied, what's shown, and the implications, if you, because when you watch this stuff, even though it seems far-fetched and maybe a little silly and all jumbled together, uh, on some level, our minds are trying to process this stuff in the real world. And mm-hmm. the only answers that come out are terrible things have happened to this guy and, and and everybody and whatever it is we may not even understand it because if the the evil dead is actually ash doing this to them and we're just getting his point of view how he's got to kill them because they turn into to demons right? right and do all these horrible things well, what if ash cut shelly's arm off you know mm-hmm. and then fed it to her, you know, like she's eating it. I mean, it it it, it, it just only gets darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that, a lot of it. Um, it kind of goes into the non-gore effects: the windows slamming and him screaming, the mirror, the beams passing overhead. Last mm-hmm. night, I referred to it as reflective of amphetamine psychosis. Like basically a paranoid breakdown where everything is falling apart. And like it could be that the evil dead is an external possession taking his friends away from him. Or it could be that the evil dead has fundamentally altered his perception. And the movie we don't see is all of his friends screaming in terror as he tortures and imprisons them one by one. Yeah, right. Uh, Now, (laughs) one thing I was always kind of curious about is... um... From your perspective, while you were making this film, did you ever imagine that there was going to be a sequel? Uh, I remember a conversation uh, I and the actors and some of the crew had around the uh, uh, the kitchen sink where we thought, you know, if this thing plays in the drive-in down in Texas for one weekend, we can say we made a theatrical film. And uh, I think mm-hmm. what the goal was and I seem to recall, like, uh, Rob Taylor, Rob Tappert um, uh, discussing this was the goal of Evil Dead or Book of the Dead when we made it was to make a second film, mm-hmm. to get on the map, to get your foot in the door and looked as though, you know, we can make something that put butts in seats for no money, uh, give us a second shot. Hmm. Now, was, do you think that was actually a, a, a decent, that was a, a reliable, you know, if you had any talent whatsoever, anything to offer, that wasn't a bad way to get into a movie because worse crap than Evil Book of the Dead came out. You know, I mean, that just mm-hmm. had maybe a good title and a poster, but just the movies were crap. I mean, just unwatchable stuff <laughs> we've already forgotten about, you know. So do you think um, Sam, while he was directing this, was already trying to plan out how the second one would go in his head? Like, does does he Uh, typically think that far ahead? Or does he just, um, hey, we got an opportunity to do this, let's crunch down? Or is he always thinking two moves ahead? 
Well, I don't think he was thinking necessarily a sequel, but because he had mm-hmm. lots of interests. Uh, you know, he I think he really wanted to make a screwball comedy, which is why Crime Wave was the second film. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen that one? Yes. Uh, good, goofy thing. Uh, I can understand why, you know, there's nothing that yells out at you. you got to see this film. And I think part of the problem was they should have cast Bruce as the lead. Mm. Uh, yes. That would have been an excellent, you know, the, the fellow they got just didn't quite have the, the 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 chops for that. And Bruce is just made for that. I mean, it would, I, but, uh, you know, that was not a choice uh, Sam was allowed to make, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that that's definitely something about Bruce is it's just he is the master of any type of physical comedy. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Bill Irwin is uh, is brilliant at that, and Sam uh, watching uh, Bruce during Evil Dead Two in the kitchen scene where his hand is possessed and is flipping him in a, mm-hmm. a space that's like four feet by six feet. You know, and then break doing all that in one take, and breaking the plates and um, the whole the whole thing is just yeah. incredible to watch. And I, I really felt like I was this is this is like Buster Keaton cool, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, I think, he's also a hell of a nice guy. I think so, I, go figure. I remember Bruce saying the reason why Evil Dead Two got made was because uh, I think like Crime Wave and stuff like bombed. So, you know, they just figured, like, hey, because I think uh, Evil Dead was really picking up popularity on home video at the time. So yeah. They, they make a sequel. Yeah. I, I was told uh, that Evil Dead, uh, by by some um, video managers, storm managers, that in the 80s, um, Evil Dead was the most stolen VHS tape. It was, it was like, hands down across the country. Because you, you just couldn't find it. I, I remember the, the first... VHS Evil Dead tape I saw was SLP mode, and it, you know, there's more tape on a, a Scotch tape dispenser, <laughs> and uh, so it was just you couldn't you just couldn't find it, you know, and uh, uh, and it was it's one of those films that when you see it you have to show it to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just this contagion movie, and that's what propelled it into the cult status, and that's why every single sequel and TV show and comic book and musical is out there. It's because fans go, I need more of this. Yeah. And that that's movie magic to me. That, that, that's Sam. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the, the Evil Dead has become like a rite of passage for uh, people that consider themselves like horror fans and stuff. They get in those discussions and they're like, like you know, like you haven't seen this, the Evil Dead, you know, you, you gotta check it out, you know. Um, you do. Yeah. You do. I'm it's so just proud one of that. James, that people want to explain it rather than simply showing it without context. Because without context, I think is the best way to view it for the first time. Because it simply does an excellent job of grabbing you by the throat and dragging you through. Right. And, really and you know, I'd recommend no if, if you can uh, show it to your friends who haven't seen it in like VHS or something like that. Um, the new 4K restoration is an amazing thing. It looks like we shot it in 35. We shot it in 16, and uh, uh, and it's crisp and beautiful, and you know, no grain. It looks just amazing, and uh, and of course, it's got all new sound as well as um, uh, Joe LaDuca's new, uh, you know, a, a 
redone score and uh, and you know uh, orchestrations and everything it's it's uh, it's it's almost a new experience, the same movie, but in, in a new experience. I highly recommend it, Chloe. But uh, to me, it's kind of like watching a uh, scene like Night of the Living Dead at two in the morning on an old black and white TV, you know, like, the, like we had back in the 60s. It's just this thing, this film escaped. It doesn't look like a slick film. So it, maybe it was made by dangerous people. <laughs> Is that... There's just something about watching it, um, these, some of these movies, where if they don't look slick, it's like it's part of that rabbit hole thing. Was I'm not sure what I'm getting. Did the people who make this understand the rules of civilization and that there's things you can't show? No, no, they're, they're breaking all those rules. I'm, I'm terrified. If I'm, it, saying, it's it kind of like that. that. Oh, sorry. It gives off that 8 millimeter vibe of like <laughs> this is a home horror movie shot where you don't know if the people actually died. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and it's all new people. Uh, you, you, the, did they die? <laughs> um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, uh, Rob Tapper's wife, you know, Lucy Lawless, um, I believe when she first uh, found out that like Rob was involved with it, she was like, you know, like, like, oh, you guys are the one that made that film. She, she, she's like, you know, like that film was absolutely disgusting. You know, of course, many years later, she'd end up becoming involved in the TV series, which was awesome. You know? Yeah. yeah. Of course, Rob Tapper's had a, a there's a tragedy there. Because in college, uh, his goal was he wanted to work for the state of the Mich- for the state of Michigan um, in um, uh, fish and wildlife management, mm-hmm. and uh, he his goal in life was to count fish. I kid you not. He he's uh, loves to fish, sports fisherman, uh, like number one passion cleared away, and his his lifelong dream was to count fish for the state of Michigan. And sadly, as we all know, growing up. Dreams don't always come true. We have to settle. And so he had to settle for being a multimillionaire TV and movie producer, marrying Xena Warrior Princess and making babies in New Zealand. But he's happy. <laughs> he's adjusted. He's making it work. And, of course, he's got a boat, and he can go sports fishing anytime he wants. So he can I guess it worked out for Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he could always get a you know fall back on working for the state of Michigan. Hey, you, you know what? That's called living the dream. If you get married to Xena Warrior Princess, you're good to go. And, plus and she's, she's an amazing. On, I she, really admire a, her. I know she's an amazing actress, and from what I've heard, she's a wonderful human being. Yeah, she was looking at uh, years in jail for protesting the Shell Oil uh, uh, place out in the middle of nowhere in Europe. And, uh, hmm. you know, to put your family and life and profession on hold for something greater than yourself is admirable. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. I mean, she cares. And, you know, you, that, that, that's, that's the sort of quality you really want to look at. Yeah, I, I got to say, uh, man, it was, a, it was an absolute pleasure to, to, to have you on and, and do this review. Um, actually, all the times we've had you on, it's been a, an absolute pleasure and you know, hopefully, hopefully you return. Um, at at this point, I want to say, you know, like not only do I consider you a great guest, I consider you like a really cool friend. You know, so it's truly really awesome to uh, gotten the chance, all these chances to just hang out and shoot the the breeze about movies and stuff. You know, so thank you. I know. Well, while we try to figure this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's been an absolute it was a great pleasure. discussion. I think we, we we covered it pretty good. Yeah. God, congratulations. Oh, yeah, I think, I, yeah we actually and, yeah. we managed to do it. And, and definitely congratulations on that. And I can't wait to see the 4K production of it. Yeah, it's 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 worth getting. It really is special. So I do have one final niggling question that sticks out to me. Dude. Do you know whose Singer sewing machine was destroyed in the production of The Evil Dead, or was that just in the cabin? Because it looks too crisp to have been in the cabin, and it literally just bugs the hell out of me. Boy. Asking the real I, questions. Might have, I, I, where's the Singer's... He uses it to barricade shut the door before she breaks open the door. Oh. You know, uh, at one point, Rob and I went out, uh, well, a couple of times, went out and, like, shopped for uh, uh, couches, furniture, incidental things. Mm. And uh, I, I'm not sure where that came from. That probably or, uh, originated from there. That makes it uh, feel a little better that, like, one of your mother's furniture, like, your, your grandparents' furniture wasn't destroyed. Because we literally yeah. have that exact sewing machine sitting about 20 feet from where I'm sitting. Ah. And it's like a family heirloom, so it was just shocking to me when I finally recognized it. <laughs> that could have been something our location manager wrangled up or something uh, we found. But we were going to you know, antique stores in the area uh, looking for stuff that reeked of you know, old-timey uh, styles and fashion. It makes sense. It just—it's it, the one. It's funny. It's the one prop in the entire cabin that somehow seems too crisp to be there. Hmm. It's not. It's not as dilapidated as everything from the couches to whatever they're working on the tables. It's the one thing that almost looks like it had just a little too much oil on it, and perhaps it's why it stuck out to me so much in this viewing. Wow! And it gets wrecked, huh? It gets wrecked. <laughs> Um, oh, I got a uh, call. All in the name of art. I got a comment Indeed. on, uh, does it ever crack you up when you see, like, the wallpaper, <laughs> like, in the bathroom? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 And that was, uh, that was, it wasn't wallpaper. It was that adhesive paper you put on shelves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the paper. Roll, and, uh, they, they tried to roll it and then, you know, attach it, and it just didn't work as well as they'd hoped. <laughs> yeah, that's. Just goes to the lore, you know, the the continuity errors and uh, all that kind of stuff. It just kind of goes into the insanity of how it looks, and also kind of fits into the um, uh, the scattered, inconsistent thinking that if you're seeing this basically through Bruce's or Ash's confused, delusional eyes, uh, that makes all kinds of sense. Hmm. That details would alter from second to second you know because memory is like that especially when you're confused and traumatized and having a psychotic episode uh you know reality is instant to instant how you're perceiving things and uh i'll go to that hallucinogenic state that the film kind of has after a while that when things start going it it enters this world of illogic Unless you really go to the dark place where it all makes sense, where Ash is killing everybody, and he thinks they're demons. I mean, <laughs> and we can't even begin to see what is actually occurring. It's that horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can only fill in the blanks. 
Agreed. I, I was going to say, like, I mean, like, isn't it isn't it amazing the fact that, because, uh, you know, like, there's a lot of low-budget, like, horror films that come out, and they have their inconsistencies as well. But, I mean, isn't it just amazing the fact that uh, through all the, you know, the problems that are noticeable on screen and stuff, that, it, that the film just manages to overcome that and it's still just as, like, talked about, you know, and praised as ever, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, quite an achievement, you know? Yeah, yeah. right. And it's also Sam's commentary on horror films, which I right. like. You know, it's let's haul out the tropes, let's have fun with them, and then let's take it to some new dark place. Because the yeah. dark place is where films are headed. <laughs> and boy, I, do we see that now, right? I know, uh... I think it kind of drives Bruce a, uh, a little nuts because, uh, you know, it's his first film and his acting isn't so great. But And he's done other stuff where he's done really great acting. But, you know, the fans are always like, evil dead, evil dead, <laughs> you know. but Well, you say married to the first guy that brought you, you know. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first Batman was Michael Keaton. That's the guy for them. Uh, right. You know, uh, I kind of like what um, – Ben Affleck did this Batman myself. He had I the like only, Ben he Affleck. Persona. He he was the only one who, to me who was actually built like Batman should be built. Like exactly. nine out of ten times, the biggest kid on the block. And uh, for that tenth kid, he's got tricks that that guy won't see coming. And to me, that's what Affleck was. Hmm. But yeah, uh, I, 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 I thought Affleck was perfect as Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, as the older. I, I my only problem was I wish they'd started that group Ben Affleck twenty years ago. Mm, yeah. uh, I would love to see that. Anyway, but that's what dazed and confused altogether. <laughs> uh, does anybody have any closing thoughts? Closing thought would be that this is really uh, this is it for horror. You know, you got to see this, and if you haven't seen it, you're really doing yourself a disservice. And I mean, it's the proof is in the pudding just by. Um, everything that I learned and hearing everybody talk about it during the watch. Lots had never seen it before. Absolutely loved it. Um, Evan loved the movie and still loves it. You know, so it's just, you, you got that medium where you can see it for the first time. You can love it. You can watch it for a billion times and still enjoy it. And hey, even the guy that worked on it, Mr. Tom Sullivan, loves it. You know? Yeah. You bet. It's all around. It's a win. If if this is if horror is your thing, you gotta watch this. That's it. And then if you have seen it, my big recommendation is find somebody who hasn't, and show it to them without explaining this Halloween season. Yeah. And if you get the chance, see it in a a theater with an audience. If you, it's a different experience seeing it with a crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. We all know, you know, on the, from our our living rooms and everything. But it's uh, I, I uh, when it came out, I lived in San Francisco, and I'd go down to the to Market Street and, and watch it at the grindhouses because the audiences I'd never seen audiences react to a movie like they do with Evil Dead uh, in uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Audiences are primed, you know, they rehearsed their reactions. You know, so you get you know the audience involvement, everybody holds up the toast and whatever, and they know all the lines. But in Evil Dead, it's spontaneous where people yell at the screen, Ash, don't go to the door, you idiot! No! <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, uh, just that kind of thing. Uh, when In Evil Dead 2, when the eye flies across the room and goes down uh, Cassie's mouth, uh, uh, 
the the guys in the row in front of my wife and I all stood up together in a spontaneous reaction. It, I've never seen things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it just ah, who yeah, does that? Good. Who does that to audiences? Right, Sam Raimi. <laughs> that's the guy. Lots. Uh... That, yes, officer. That's the man. Yeah. The final thought is Evil Dead is an example of a film where talent is more important than money. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, if you're a filmmaker and you have a dream, just go for it. You don't have to have a lot of money. Just you got to get creative and, you know, collaborate with other people uh, and you might make something really great, you know. Just do it. Trust in yourself. Go the distance. Work your butt off. (laughs) Right. And most importantly, find someone, and more important than someone, a group of people who are passionate about your idea instead of dragging people into the project along for the ride. Because based on what I've heard in this interview, that's what really carries an amateur film is everybody being invested and not to cite a cliche. Teamwork makes Mm -hmm. the dream work. People get into it and it happens. You got it. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah. It's been a pleasure having you as always, Tom. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah. Anytime. We'll do this again, I'm sure. All right. Yeah, sounds great. Have a wonderful uh, rest of the evening. That's right. Have a good night and stay warm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Later, guys. All right. Later, Tom. Bye-bye. Bye. I love talking with him. He is an extraordinary person. Mm -hmm. Right? He's so nice. (laughs) He he was our first guest, and every single time, it's just been so relaxed and so chilled, and you always learn something new. Uh, it either might have been him, or it might have been that fan editor on Blue Ridge 2. I think what's extraordinary is just I only took one 3x5 index card of notes the entire interview because it just rolled so organically. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It led into each next stage of the interview very naturally. Nah, man, you had some deep, deep stuff. Uh, I loved it. It was great. Everyone had great uh, questions. It was it was awesome. Yeah, hey, we we were all fucking going on good cylinders. I think so. This concludes the review for the 40th anniversary of Evil Dead. Hope you all enjoyed it. Now, uh, please enjoy some clips that I took from the group watch of the Evil Dead screening. Yes, it is the bridge you can cross. If you didn't want to cross it, why'd you do it? The bridge. Is I out. go to hell. I wasn't talking to you. Oh, I wasn't honking at you. Oh, I was- well, one out of three ain't bad. Wait, you haven't seen Evil Dead 2? No. <gasps> Me neither. I personally don't I haven't really seen like any of them. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Most of our best directors were genuine psychopaths, is a truth. It's kind of amazing to think how Bruce Campbell's chin has literally grown over the years. Uh. He has a medical condition where the bone keeps... <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. <clears throat> You know, there, were, there was an actually someone at my high school over a decade ago that had a chin like that, actually. And it did grow. Really? Jay Leno yeah. and Bruce Campbell kind of chin off. But he was an asshole, though, so there's that. Did you kick him in his chin? Wait, your friend was an asshole or Jay Leno was an asshole? No, the guy from high school was an asshole. The corduroy pants. Hey, corduroy pants are awesome. I used to love the zip, zip, zip sound as I walked around school. Right? All right. Oh my God. I'm just kind of envisioning a fan edit of this film where every time the camera pans in on Bruce's face, they hijack the pan so that it pans in on his chin. <laughs> <laughs> oh Evil God. Dead, the chin edition? Yeah. The chin, chin. 
Ah, you beat me to it, the chin inning. I wonder who made that book. I think oh, it was that yeah. fly guy. <laughs> you get points lots. And the whole time, Bruce doesn't give a shit. It's like, oh my god, look what I found. He's like, yeah, truly amazing. Fun fact, they were all high during the scene. I'm really? sure they were. Mm. Another fun fact, Tom Sullivan was the blunt roller. <laughs> oh, what times they had. Well, I'm sure he knew how to do that if he made a goddamn dagger. He is really going out of his way to bust her balls. Right. Hey, come on, I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal. It's all Scotty's fault, dick. I always hear Mr. Bean as Mr. Bean. <laughs> yeah, hikers down the road. from the book. The whole thing about um, uh, the hikers down the road, it was in the beginning of the movie when those two guys were waving. That was, was Sam. Like, oh, go to hell. I wasn't. Yeah, that was Sam Raimi and Tom Tapper. Dina's husband, future husband. I mean, Lucy Lawless's future husband. <laughs> yeah, Dina didn't have a husband unless it was Gabrielle. I mean, never mind. What if he bought it at like a garage sale and it had like a name inscribed in it and she's like, who the fuck is Brandy? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why this pendant is in the movie is because the original ending, they were going to use it like the sun would shine through and burn the book. Give it to you we came up huh, here, makes sense. Otherwise, things get. Why would it be there? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. If I bought somebody an expensive magnifying glass to hang around their neck, I'm sure I would have it stuck up my ass. <laughs> they they also spray paint it silver. Beautiful. Wow. I really love That's just brilliant. But you know what? It's the thought that counts. At least he bought her a gift. God damn it. That's Even though it's got Brenda engraved on it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Brenda. To Brenda from Ash. Being oh, by evil. Oh, but at least it says Brenda and not like Steve. <laughs> Scotty. It'd really suck if it, like the actual guy you bought it from at the yard sale was also named Ash. <laughs> That's and it's like to Brenda with love, Ash, since oh. herpes are forever. <laughs> I I love how they they actually changed it too because um uh, he's like Ash Williams in the later ones side but in this boob. one he's at... yeah it's the side so but in this one he's Ash Holt actually he's Ashley yeah. J Williams come I'm gonna look at the shitty sketch I did. Fuck the shitty sketch. Oh, come on, if she's not that middle, bad of an artist. If you were in the middle of the woods and you heard a voice outside your window go, join us, yeah, let's just get up and go outside, please. That moon is fucking huge. Yeah, it's superimposed over. I would say Bruce Almighty is getting laid tonight. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Well, the problem is we never see what the thing is. It's just an unseen entity. Makes it more suspense. It's psychotic terror is what it is. It's not a thing well, that can be tangibly is, represented. So much, it's so much more scarier when you don't know what it is, because then your imagination does you know, the work for you, and then it just makes it a little more scarier. First thing I can also say, like, I could be an asshole and be like, well, they don't have the button for whatever it is. Like, I could imagine it being like That's some demon, 
they it's like glowing red the, eyes. The second episode of the TV series, what it looks like. It's just smoke, though. Yeah. It's apocryphal, but I've heard it referenced as basically what inspired the Evil Dead is that sensation of psychotic dread you get on psychedelics when an evil entity is approaching you. So you run in panic and flee, but you never act like it's like a nightmare. You can't look at what you're running from. You just run from the concept of it. I, I, I just think that it's whatever your imagination makes it out to be. Like, I, I could see it being like a psychotic demon ghost shadow dog with red eyes. Lots could see it being a Star Trek reboot. No, 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 no. Star Wars. They got who to play Captain Sulu? Yeah, you can. You can absolutely abandon a family member in the woods and drive off and tell your parents you never, ever understood what happened to them. Yeah, she was a tree whore. <laughs> oh, and dad are like, what's that mean? Oh, it's just what they call it these days. She's preventing me from having the sex with my girlfriend. She made a bunch of noise when I tried to give my girlfriend a magnifying glass. <laughs> oh, that ankle stab always oh, gets me every fucking that one time. Yeah, in the scream. Oh. Ew, ew. Ah. Yeah. It was like total gross up. This movie was banned for many years. How many bookshelves are there to get trapped under? Right? He fell It's Sam Raimi's type of humor. And they're all just standing there like, what the fuck? Maybe that was what it was all about with Shock Factor. Yeah. Well, no, like, you see this shit. This is, this is true Lovecraftian horror. This is reality itself breaking. It's actually better than I thought it was going to be, to be perfectly honest. It's a good film. This was so cute when they played the ICU game again. <laughs> he's got ESP wait. though. No, he's like, wait, the music changed. <laughs> Chin senses tingling. <laughs> My unibrow hairs are standing up. That's why he kept him. <laughs> I just like the mirroring to their cute relationship. Yeah. Parts is awesome. Walt Walt. Well, it just has so much astoundingly in common with it, with like a documented amphetamine psychosis. I'm up here. Well, I'm not. And then no. another scene I really love the fucking no. mirror part. It's psychosis. That is true psychosis. Uh, it's such a simple effect, just water. Well, superimposing it. Yeah. Oh my god, they were... That actually just broke my heart. That sewing machine they were destroying was a singer, and it's worth a lot of money now. <laughs> if it wasn't destroyed. Yeah, he wanted to be a werewolf. Yeah, he's like, I wanted to be a kitten at the carnival. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was fucking funnier, the remark or that laugh. <laughs> Both equally. Oh, I love this part. Yeah, she ate a Tide Pod. <laughs> <laughs> you win the internet for the night. Uh... He ate the purple berry. <laughs> oh my god. 
Oh shit, hey Colgate. <laughs> this right here is Mr. Tom Sullivan at his finest. Yeah. He studied some fruit decomposing for this. Chemotherapy didn't work out too well for her. Here it comes. Oh. Turns out burning the book was the wrong thing to do. Here it comes. Actually, Here it comes. The book of the Dead DVD version of this. Boom, flat. Oh. That stuff probably tasted fucking horrific, too. <laughs> There's yep. a snake. I know, and the snake is just hanging out like, what the fuck are all these cockroaches doing here? <laughs> hey, Gumby's dead. If I may, fan theory momentarily. Oh boy. I even see the entire end of the film after the end of the possession to basically be that kind of post-death disassociative hallucination. Where, like, he is not getting up off the floor. <laughs> That's deep. You, sir, are smoking way too much. Nah, I've been sober for a while. That's what scares me. You so we should just do a fan edit where part two starts right when this shit happens. Well, when I used to pop in the DVD, I just hit the chapter skip button and it would resume to this part. Nice. I love the music. I love that stream. I, uh, it reminds me of how I, when I watched The Mist, the Stephen King book recreated as a film, <laughs> also a I movie. actually just, I end, I end the movie right after he shoots his kid and the two old people, and before the army comes, because the bleakness of that is just like, that's how it ends. <laughs> Alright, now hold on, let's give a hand for Tom Sullivan, yay! Right. Yay! And then we just sampled that and played it like a musical instrument. And we pitched it down. Legend has it that it was written by the Dark Ones. Necronomicon Ex Mortis. Naturon de Montauk of the Dead. Well, the guy that's written it says it's an old place. A little run down, but it's right up in the mountains. Well, it might not be that bad. No. Actually, it might be kind of nice.
bastards. Oh, you little bastards.